all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. Good morning and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I am Dr. Susan Buttress and today, today we're talking about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Well, you know, it's been around for many, many years. We've known a fair amount about it since the 1990s, really understood it better. But we're always learning more and more about how medicines work exactly, um, what's better used to treat, new treatments that are not medications. And today we're going to talk about some of the recent research. Now, ADHD is not just a disorder of children. It often continues to affect the lives of those with ADHD all throughout adulthood. Um, And sometimes medicine is continued to be needed. Um, Like I said, there are other new treatments available. I'm very excited that we have Dr. Dustin Sarver with us, who is Associate Professor of Psychiatry and Human Behavior. He's going to help us travel from childhood into adulthood for those with ADHD so that we can better understand it. Um, So thank you for being with us, Dustin. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So good to have you. Well, I thought, you know, I'm I'm not going to go back over. I don't think we need to go over what ADHD is. Um, Other than to say, let's keep in mind that it's a disorder of inattention. But sometimes there can be sort of a perseveration-like to certain tasks that you really get excited about if you have ADHD. Isn't that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that for for many years, many, many people thought, oh, good grief, people with ADHD can't concentrate on anything. That's not true. Um, But they have to be, those with ADHD, tend to need to to have some real excitement to it, to the to the topic, to the subject, to whatever they're concentrating on, to be able to sustain attention. Um, you know, millions of children have been diagnosed uh, in the U.S. And, and actually in our state, we over the years have had a very high number of children diagnosed with ADHD and also treated with medication. And there's been some question about are we diagnosing too many kids with it? Um, 
We'll talk about that as we move along, but I wanted to throw that question out to you listeners. Um, The other question is, does everybody need treatment for their ADHD as far as medication treatment? And we'll talk about that as we, we move along. With that to say, somewhere around 5 and 10 percent of children in the U.S. continue to be not diagnosed with ADHD. In younger children, it's a lower amount, 3 to 5 percent. I mean, in the 3 to 5-year-old children, about 2 percent are diagnosed. That may be correct. It may be that we need to diagnose it more quickly to give behavioral treatment not necessarily medication, because we want to be careful with young children. But should we be recognizing ADHD earlier? Another question for all of us, and we'll turn to Dr. Sarver on that one in a minute. Um, the, The other thing to note, though, is that the numbers have slightly dropped, according to the Center for Disease Control surveys of people diagnosed with ADHD. They've dropped a little. And, and, and a question is, is that because we're doing a little bit better job, not calling everything ADHD, perhaps? Do you think, Dr. Yeah. Sarver, in that one? Yeah, and that's uh, definitely a reasonable um, uh, thought with that. I mean, there's a lot of times where we do have a lot better um, processes now at the at the more healthcare, um, you know, national level in terms of being able to have good decision trees and ways in which we diagnose, good right. guidelines. Those are being, you know, uh, shared very widely amongst pediatricians. And I think there's an uh, overall an element of um, wanting to make sure we're doing it best evidence-based care that we can. And that includes doing a much thorough, a much more thorough job of diagnosing um, any condition, including things like ADHD. Right, right. The other thing that I want us to talk about as we move through is what I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, and and that is that ADHD is a lifelong disorder, listeners. And so if you were diagnosed as a child, or if you have a now adult child um, who was diagnosed as ADHD, there. There is information out there that place adult prevalence of ADHD somewhere around 2.5 to almost 5%, with more men than women diagnosed and, and showing symptoms, supposedly, of ADHD um, out there um, ongoing. And so, listeners, question again to you. Do you think you're still struggling with ADHD? Do you feel like it morphed maybe into something else? Or now is there some overlay? Um, because there there are a lot of comorbidities out there. Comorbidity meaning there, there are other disorders that can kind of sit with or rest on top of ADHD to make it worse. Things like... You probably know AD, um, anxiety and and depression 
We were laughing, by the way, as <laughs> as we were coming in, and in legal terms, was ending the the thought of oh, it might have been good to have a show about anxiety of tax preparation and procrastination of tax preparation during this time because. Individuals with ADHD, right, are going to be more prone to procrastinate, get anxious, and so to do anything to to stay away from that anxiety, and that would mean just delay doing yeah, it. Something, right? especially as something as big as taxes, for oh, sure. Yeah. Yes. Something nobody wants to do. Okay, listeners, I have thrown out a ton of questions. Please join in the conversation. I know you have some questions and thoughts, perhaps, about the frequency of treatment, um, medication use, etc. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We're talking about new new information on ADHD and perhaps some old information that was maybe um, incorrect. I think something that continues to linger out there that really disturbs me when I ever hear that implication is, oh, he has ADHD and and not somebody great to 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 have around or perhaps somebody who who never completes anything or perhaps not a valuable member of um, our society and and I can tell you um, that there are many exceedingly bright and exceedingly uh, contributors in our society who have mm-hmm. ADHD. Sometimes it's an advantage, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of folks out there that uh, I think when we consider this, these ideas of like diversity and neurodiversity, the fact that there are many differences uh, across people and personality and temperament types, and like we need all of that. Yes, there are certain times that it can be a um, some could be a handicap in certain situations, but you know, but whenever the environment is matching well, and we call that uh, the goodness of fit hypothesis, right? That there's like, if the environment needs something stimulating and you have someone who likes a stimulating environment, then that matches really well. And so if you can find things like that, you know, um, things maybe won't, aren't so, uh, difficult for individuals like with ADHD, but they bring vibrancy. And then, yes, absolutely. They can absolutely contribute a lot of things. A lot of folks who end up also going into uh, more manual type of layers, you know, they're they're self-starters, they're business owners, they can operate on their own schedule. Maybe they do work, do trade things like carpentry or um, mechanics that working with their hands like that. Man, we, our society would just crumble if we didn't have those folks. It really would. Absolutely. We really would. And also, um, what about um, individuals in the entertainment business? Like TV and radio. You have to be be able to move quickly from one task to another. You have to be able to um, just sort of do things on the fly sometimes. Do you think maybe that our entertainment industry as well of people with ADHD. Oh, I, I, I think they, if we really sampled every industry, we're going to find some some folks in there. Uh, certainly, there's really, really well-known examples of people who've been um, uh, really at the forefront of busting, st- busting the idea of stigma and showing that mental health, <laughs> including things like ADHD or medications for ADHD, is not something that we have to worry about or hide. Some folks like Adam Levine, the lead singer of Maroon 5, or um, uh, uh, Michael Phelps, the 
the um, Olympian right. swimmer have come forward and, and with their own uh, issues, whether that be depression or anxiety. They've been really great folks and spokespeople for us. Uh, I'm also just reminded that like ADHD is not – a lot of times people confuse ADHD with intelligence, and that is – so unfortunate because so it's wrong. not so wrong. Um, it is not the same thing. And I've in this discussion, I'm always uh, drawn back to a family uh, that I worked with where the dad was a stockbroker, an incredibly high caliber, very successful stockbroker. And it was because with his ADHD, you know, focusing on the moment to moment was great because he was day trading. And that was his job, and he did a wonderful job with it. Because again, his environment matched his personality and um, and and his ADHD, and it was just a great fit. So, like, it's not 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 intelligence at all. No, and you know that is something that has changed over the years. I think that um, back in the really old days, <laughs> uh, ADHD was called minimal brain dysfunction, oh, yeah. which was so unfortunate. And I think that that sort of contributed to the thought that perhaps it had something to do with intelligence. And we certainly know now that's not true. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Dustin Sarver. And we are talking about ADHD updates, new information, uh, what's out there, what's good for treatment, Um should we still be using medication? I'll just say the answer is probably absolutely yes for some. But do do we address it early enough with the right kind of perhaps behavioral treatment? Probably not. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about something I mentioned to about before the break. Um, so ADHD is a, a disorder, um, but... Is it truly a difference that is just atypical from typically developing individuals, or is it a delay? And Dr. Sarva, we had an interesting conversation about that. Why don't you jump in on that one? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a fascinating uh, question. And, and of course, like in a lot of things in the world, uh, it depends, right? So right. when we're um, one of the kind of key questions that comes up is like, um, uh, is this delay or difference idea? And I think we, when we look at the brain, we have different parts of the brain. You have that cortex, which is that wrapper around the brain. And then you have all the, the, the guts of it un- right. underneath of it. And, uh, the center parts. The center parts. <laughs> That's right. We're, uh, and, uh, you know, when we look at just that wrapper, that cortex, you know, uh, developmentally what happens is kids, um, they, it, your brain grows and grows and grows just through early experiences, which is why the zero to five years is so, so important. Right. Um, and then, you know, as you get into puberty, it start your brain says, ah, you know, I've gotten thick enough. I don't need it anymore. I'm going to start pr- what they call pruning. I'm going to start, I'm going to, if I don't use it, I'm going to lose it. And that's, um, something we expect to happen. Uh, and so what we, there's some really interesting research that's come, that's come out kind of looking at kids with and without ADHD and this development process of this uh, proliferation and thickness of their of the cortex. And um, when what we actually are really, what's interesting to see is that when we have, um, this is your taxpayer dollars at work, I should say, so thank you for National <laughs> Institutes of Mental Health, that, um, you know, looking at a couple hundred kids with and without ADHD and putting them in uh, MRI scans over time, right. we're able to then figure out like just how thick their cortex is. And when we look at that, the general pattern is very consistent, very the same in both groups. Um, so we don't think there's a 
difference in between uh, for between the groups. But what we do see is that the progression from various things you can kind of uh, maybe I, there's a, maybe even a hyperlink I could uh, put out Absolutely. to for yeah. listeners to check out the videos on their own. Um, there are videos that will show this where um, you'll see growth happen, and your it comes from the back of your brain where um, or back of your head, and it kind of moves forward to the your eyeball areas, and that growth just happens much more slowly amongst kids with AD with ADHD um, over time. And so we do think that is a neurodevelopmental delay. And actually, this is some of the research that recently got ADHD moved from the behavior disorders um, area of our DSM into thinking of ADHD as a neurodevelopmental disorder. So very, very important key things. Um, And uh, one of the things that I know we were talking about earlier is really fascinating to me is that the difference in that delay. So it can yeah. overall in the brain about two years behind. Uh, and in some areas of the brain, about three years behind that prefrontal cortex where things like reasoning or in controlling your inhibition uh, or stopping yourself, working memory, holding on to multiple things at the same time, uh, three years of a difference there. So like that's a big, big, big thing. Big, big thing. And and I want to emphasize that that it, the delay has been shown in the maturation of the brain over the last several years. Mm-hmm. But what I'd like for you to to help us talk through is we sometimes jokingly talk about how men, um, mm-hmm. young men, uh, mature later than women. Yep. And I know that differential has been looked yes. at. Do you think perhaps because some of the neurodevelopmental disorders appear to be more common in men than women, that that is perhaps why we see those delays um, across that that young um, into adulthood time. Yeah, uh, we see. You know, there's a lot of reasons out there, and certainly um, it's something we call multifactorial, meaning there's just a lot of things. It can be everything from true genetic ge- mm-hmm. uh, issues to maturation of the brain to expectations that we have societally for boys versus girls um, at mm-hmm. different age points. So point. those those things, and the, then the criteria that we use in which to, to diagnose that. So all of those things kind of get thrown into the gumbo pot, so to speak. And, um, and, and, but there is certainly a difference neurodevelopmentally that we see that, uh, of that faster maturation of girls to boys. And that, that's, um, and I think it is one thing that is a risk factor for boys, um, being diagnosed with ADHD, um, a little bit higher rates because then they're being compared to other, um, uh, their peers, um, who may have a little bit faster development early on. And, uh, you know, this is honestly one of the things that we see very, um, kind of prominently is, uh, something we call the birthday effect, right? Uh, so yeah, those, yes. those, uh, kids who are just skate past the deadline for school entry. And so they're the youngest kids in their class. Um, but you compare them to kids who were born literally one week different who are the oldest in their class and you see vast changes in oh, the rates of, um, of uh, uh, rates of diagnosis of ADHD and it has nothing to do with um, your birthday it has everything to do with um, uh, being a, compared developmentally um, a, a, to different people in different groups yeah yeah so yeah that's I think that's very interesting and we've looked at that as far as whether you should start kindergarten, Mm -hmm. you know, or not. But I think what we forget is if there is that delay in maturation, that it it may occur for um, 
it may be continue to be an ongoing delay yeah. for uh, throughout. Yeah, there, there. Yeah, it, right. there, certainly. There's uh, once you get through that delay uh, or the um, development part of it, your brain starts to do the pruning, and there's still a catch up period. It's not that you know we're always we're always developing. You know, I think even typically developing humans, we're now starting to think of it as brains developing in up, up until almost 30 years of age. So there's still that catch up that's going to be happening. And I'm certainly, um, if we aren't already seeing research coming out in the ADHD world as we're fine as we're following and tracking these kids with. With ADHD into adulthood, we will certainly see those in the next few years. Yeah. Well, I think you just mentioned something that, that again, I want us to continue to talk about. And, and that is the fact that it does seem that we continue to mature, some longer than others, but mm-hmm. almost to 30 years mm-hmm. of age. So, listeners, what an important time to be taking care of our brains, making sure that we're getting good nutrition, making sure that, you know, if you use alcohol, you use it in moderation, any substances you're careful about. Because, you know, we talk a lot about early brain development, very important time, Mm -hmm. because that's really just light speed. Yeah, that two to five, that birth to five years, um, things are changing drastically. But to think that they change, they stop changing when you're 15 or 16 or even 18 is is wrong. Yeah. Once we go off to college, everything is just static. That's the, yeah, it yeah. doesn't happen. Not so. No. Um, Not so. No. I, actually, um, there's some real interesting new research that's come up. I know we were, at, you were talking about like, well, there are some of the new things that um, come up. And uh, I don't know if um, you know, there's some uh, some of this new research that's come out is there's these these uh, groups across the nation um, where we have very well defi- we call well defined groups of ADHD. These were expertly diagnosed groups with with and without ADHD, and so we follow them over time. Uh, and to, to the extent where we're following them now into their 30s, and some of these are in their 40. These uh, individuals are now 40 plus years of age. Um, and one one thing that recently just came out within the last year that really was surprising is that um, when we try Track these um, individuals year over year into their mid twenties. We see that actually only ten percent, actually, if you look at it year by year by year, had met ADHD criteria every single year, hmm. which is very different than the idea that it's typically bantied about. That like, oh, half of the half of kids will, with ADHD will just right. just grow out of it, remit, um, remit. Yeah. Um, but actually, we see about sixty percent of kids will at least have. We'll have what we call fluctuating remission. That at some yeah. point in time, they may not actually have meet criteria for ADHD, even though they did earlier on. And that's something I think as we move along, I'd like to talk more about because it may have to do with what's going on in your life. Yes, absolutely. But let's go to the phones. We have Trish and Aliceville. Hi, Trish. Thanks for calling. Hello. Yes, I just wanted to say that you never grow out of it. I was born in 46 and had no idea that I had a learning disability, just no idea. But when our youngest child was in school, the teacher approached me and told us our child was not reading. She was guessing. So I finally found a psychologist to test her. She was in a private school, and the school system wouldn't test her because she was in a private school. 
But I finally found someone in Oxford, and she assured us our child would never learn to decode written language, that she must have her books on uh, audio. Mm-hmm. And we did have some audio books, but she struggled, and I realized when I was reading, trying to help her, that I was, I thought ADD, because my father had a very effective treatment for hyperactivity. Oh. But it's been interesting. You Probably know, I something I wouldn't recommend, huh? So, so Trish, it sounds like perhaps your your daughter had dyslexia or a reading disorder. Um, Do you think? Uh huh. Do you think she had attention deficit disorder also? Yes, she she really wasn't hyperactive. It was attention deficit. Yeah, and and her dyslexia was profound. Mm -hmm. It's just profound. Mm -hmm. But she did learn to read, and now at 41, she reads for pleasure at times, you know. Isn't that She's wonderful? Architect. She is a structural engineer, so she, you know, she struggled all the way through school, but she did. Wow. I, and it goes back to our earlier conversation. Like, we need structural engineers. Wonderful contribution to uh, society. Uh, yeah. so, if we don't have yeah. structural like, engineers, we don't have buildings that build up, right? Exactly. Right, exactly. In fact, she's got to be at work at 2.30 for a conference with an architect, you know, and I'm on my way to Mobile. But it's amazing. I'm, I just never knew what was wrong with me until I found out what was wrong with her. Yeah, we were not very good at at diagnosing. I, I wasn't in the realm of diagnosing back then. I'm not that old. But I will say that, yes, back there was not good knowledge about ADHD, nor was there really good knowledge uh, at all about dyslexia. And and typically back then, unfortunately, many individuals with severe dyslexia, like your daughter, were thought to have perhaps an intellectual disability. Right. 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 Yeah. Uh, but, you know, society is... Com- go, go ahead, Trish. If my parents hadn't been pillars of the community, I imagine I would have been thought of as disabled or, dis- you mm-hmm. know, mentally incompetent. Or something. I forget, if I remember to do my homework, I forget to take it to school, you know. <laughs> One day I went to school with bobby pins in my hair. I'd forgotten to comb my hair, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so typical. It does sound like you had ADHD, and you sound delightful now. And it's, uh, I think, you're a good testament of of why parents have to be so actively involved in taking care. Not exactly. You got to fight for them. You got to you got to make sure that they're getting everything they need to get. Because if you don't do it, the unfortunate thing is nobody else will do it. That's There's right. some awesome teachers out there who who will work um, toward getting that done. But, you know, when they have a classroom of 25, it's really hard to make sure that every child's needs are being addressed unless somebody else is assisting mm-hmm. that. Right? Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. 
Well, Trish, thanks for your call. And thanks for being with us. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Dustin Sarver, psychologist and researcher in the area of ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. I know that sounds like a misnomer because there are a lot of people who don't really seem to be terribly hyperactive, but we call it all ADHD. Whether you're more inattentive or more hyperactive, impulsive, um, that's just the name. For whether you agree with it or not, that's where we are. I don't know. Dr. Sarver, we, um, we wondered why the committee came out with that when they did with the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, but we live with it, right? Yeah, we certainly do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like to joke that if you're still saying ADD, uh, you know, we said that we, we thought of it and used that back in the 80s. So, you know, you yeah. maybe, used to Blockbuster and Radio Shack, but um, <laughs> but nowadays it's AD, everything is ADHD because we know that those symptoms kind of wax and wane over time. They um, do. And it's not consistent um, in terms of being just inattentive or just hyperactive or the combination. Yeah. And I, I love that term, wax and wane, because I think that is where people sometimes get confused. Sometimes you'll be in a state of, of life where... Your nutrition's good, your sleep is great, life is calmer, perhaps you have just the right amount of caffeine in your <laughs> body, or whatever it is, and and you can high perform, and that ADHD perhaps seems to have gone away, yeah. but yeah. then if sleep's down or stress is up... Um, then it's easy to rear its ugly head yeah, and absolutely. really cause problems, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, alluding back to some um, some of that research we were talking about even re- uh, just before the break here, that, uh, you know, you know, people falling, falling kids into early 20s, about 30% of kids with ADHD up into their young 20s will have full remission of their ADHD at some point. And I think that uh, we don't necessarily know what exactly is going on, but I think the suspicion is exactly what you had mentioned, that mm-hmm. life is good, all the other things are, go- are going well for them. Maybe they're involved in more exercise, helping their brain boost good brain, healthy activities. Um, and that maybe for, you know, in terms of um, uh, remission or, or, and, or persistence or coming back in, um, having something flare up, maybe something in life and their environment's going on. Right. Right. We're going to go back to the phones. We have Robin in Clarksdale. Hi, Robin. Hello. Hi. You there? Hi, there. Great. I'm here. Can you hear me all right? Yes, we hear you great. Tell us what your thoughts are. Um, I am somebody that was diagnosed at 56 years old. Um, I'm kind of a classic female example in that I was not hyperactive as a young person, so Mm -hmm. I was never diagnosed then. Um, I did not have children, so I didn't have the experience of learning when children um, started having ADHD, Um, but I started having problems that I couldn't manage when I became in menopause and the Uh. uh, change in the hormones then, and so I just kind of wanted to um, see if you had any thoughts on um, how late in life ADHD, if there's not a lot of research on that. Well, Robin, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. First of all, I think um, I I have a question to you, Um, and then I'll turn it over to Dr. Sarver. Most of us realize that if, if we really think back, there probably were some symptoms 
um, back when we were younger, in in grade school perhaps. And I think one of the things that that I believe, and and I think uh, many researchers believe this, that many times, as Dr. Sarver mentioned earlier, different standards are placed on women, um, especially if you're a cute little girl and maybe not making the greatest grades. At least you're cute. And as as somebody said to me, which... I was highly incensed when they were talking about their their daughter about this. I just hope she marries well. Um, in my mind, that that sounded so old Southern. I hope she marries well mm-hmm. because she's not very smart. Are you sure you're giving her everything she needs mm-hmm. to perform well? Do you think any of that happened to you, Robin? Um, I had a different experience. In retrospect, looking back, I absolutely believe that I had ADHD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was younger, it didn't just happen. But, um, you know, it wasn't the kind of behaviors that they um, recognized, you know, the hyperactivity. I was good in school. I liked to read, and I didn't have problems in school in that way. It was some of the perhaps emotional issues. Um, I was good at multitasking. Women are supposed to multitask. (laughs) So um, I ended up in a job, as you have talked about, that was a good fit for me for my needing excitement and change and variety and my job requires mm-hmm. being able to manage a lot of different things at once. So I don't think that I was I, I was fortunate in that I wasn't held back educationally wise because of my ADHD. Um but anyway, that's what yeah. I have got to it. Say. Got it. Probably, and and Robin, um, you know, as we were talking about earlier, has nothing to do with intelligence, and it sounds like you're really right. bright. Yeah, exactly. Right. Do you want to comment, maybe yeah. on? Yeah, I, yeah, Robin. I kind of what your story is bringing up to me is there's we tend to see folks who um, to address your question about being diagnosed later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, we do see folks who get diagnosed later, um, but we one we do as Dr. Buttress was saying, we do see some symptoms early on or some signs early if we look hard enough. Um, but we tend to see those later diagnosed as um, they tend to be more highly um, educationally, uh, having higher educational attainment, uh, may perhaps higher intellectual functioning, maybe family members who help them out um, right. to kind of get through um, some challenges. Um, and then we also tend to see that like those, you know, they navigate really well until maybe life becomes a little bit too overwhelming, um, whether that's with stress or the man- management of multiple activities and just kind of then it's almost like a, I think of it like spinning plates, right? You just get to a point where you can't just spin another plate and something starts to crash down. Uh, and it, those are typically the points in which people go, hmm, maybe I should check out and ask about ADHD. I feel distracted and ha- not handling my emotions well and things like that. So um, whether that, that may or may not be specific to you, but uh, certainly that is those are the types of things that we see uh, more commonly than not. Absolutely, that's how I feel. I reached a point where I just couldn't spin all of the plates in my life anymore. <laughs> and um, early, mis- I mean, not misdiagnosis, but the, um, you know, depression and anxiety were things that I was diagnosed with earlier in my life. But looking back, if I had been managed for ADHD, that I probably wouldn't have struggled as much with those things. But um, kind of all tied together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, to to put the significant hormonal changes on on top of that, Robin, 
is for for a woman and as a one who's been through it, certainly many will say that you develop some sleep issues, you develop some I think probably subsequently because of the disruptive sleep issues that we have as we're going through that then then you end up having um, concentrational problems, mm-hmm. um, maybe hormonally related too, but certainly sleep sleep can can impair it too. So um, I think that's a you you are a great story for misdiagnosing, but I think Dr. Sarver and I both agree that it is not uncommon for untreated ADHD individuals to then later struggle with anxiety and depression yeah, absolutely, because yeah. of the frustration. You know you can do it, but why can't you do it? Exactly. There's, it's yeah. more common than not. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, Robin, I'll say just one thing that you've, uh, you've hit at a new area in which I am hopeful that our science will actually be able to inform the public on in the next really decade or two. So a lot of these kids who we know had ADHD back in the 80s, well, they're not yet into menopause or, um, or the the women in particular. Right, right. And so um, we, I expect in the next, you know, 15, 10, 15, 20 years, we will now ha- will have a much richer understanding of exactly how all of those things are, are related. And unfortunately, we don't necessarily, we can have suspicions now, but mm-hmm. we'll have a lot better data to um, tell, to give recommendations to talk about later on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ro- well thank you for talking today. Thank Robin, you for thank you for your call. Yes. Thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Dustin Sarver talking about ADHD. I want to talk about a couple of things, Um, Dr. Sarver. um, We know that with the research that is continuing to be ongoing, there are certain things that ADHD puts you at an increased risk of struggling with. Mm Let's talk about a few of those. Um, one that sort of stood out to me, you know, we're a state that has a lot of gambling going on now. Increased problems with sort of addictive gambling, mm-hmm. um, impulsive gambling. Talk a little about that, if you will. And then maybe other issues. Yeah, sure. Certainly, uh, you know, you have a disorder that's characterized by uh, having trouble stopping yourself from doing something, especially if there is something emotionally really exciting going on, which is gambling, <laughs> right? Um, right. And, and of course, the, the gambling field has, uh, or um, business does their best as they can to help keep thing, people, uh, even without ADHD, um, gather their attention as much as possible. And so, um, yeah, we certainly see high rates of uh, gambling addiction um, uh, in that, uh, and really just more addiction in, in, general, in, whether, general. in general, whether that's yeah. substance related related or um, media use, excessive media use um, for uh, entertainment purposes, things like that. We've talked about, we were mentioned the idea of procrastination earlier. I mean, certainly uh, you can get procrastination because you're addicted to some, doing something else instead of um, uh, doing what you're supposed to. So, right. um, but yeah, definitely a lot, see a lot of that, those kind of things. And, you know, it's not, uh, we, one of the things that's really interesting to me is that when we look at across the population and we look at folks who are getting treatment versus not, we tend to see in general, lower rates of these kind of bad juju things that comes up. Yeah. Well, we have a caller. So let's go back to the phones. Rachel in Eupora has some comments of um, allowing a child to follow its own mind. Talk to us about what that means, Rachel. Well, um, 
for instance, uh, when I was in school, I was not as good in math. I was terrible in math, as a matter of fact. Mm. But I excelled at other creative type things. And um, my dad gave me the advice to be a teacher. This was after I got in college. And so I did. I majored in special education. My heart was not in it. My head was not in it. And I did not study. Uh, but anyway, I had a strong desire to help people. But um, I got out of that um, area when I moved. And I went into um, newspaper business. And I excelled at writing and photography and uh, sometimes drawing uh, pictures for ads, etc. And so um, I want to know, how important is it that we let a child determine their own direction if we pay attention to what they're good at? And I don't know how much this has to do with ADDHD. Yeah, yeah. You're posing a great question, Mm -hmm. and it probably has a whole lot to do with ADHD in 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 the fact that if you're not interested in something, it's hard to concentrate, sustain attention, get excited about it, etc. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Sarver. Yeah. And so, Rachel, are you thinking that perhaps you you may have had ADHD? Well, I just wondered, and also at this point in my life, I'm seventy, and um, I can't keep up with my housework. I do the same rooms over and over again, and uh, I usually sit down and watch television for a little while and then uh, do the same tasks that I did the day before in the same rooms. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. so, I'm wondering, is that – I haven't always been that way. When I wasn't that way, it was when I was in a good marriage – or a good relationship, and then when I would get in a bad one, uh, it seemed like I never could please them, and my head was just everywhere. Yeah, I mean, and and some of that is just normal from the standpoint of, like, emotions get in the way. And as stress in life and emotions can flare up, it concentrates our – or it um, affects our cognition, affects Mm -hmm. our attention. And that's – Absolutely. That's not just ADHD. That's really just all – that's a part of being a human. Um, And so certainly Uh those things happen. Um, uh, Rachel, maybe I could just address your question, um, though, from earlier about, like, how important it is. Is to allow a kid to follow their mind. You know, this is a really a deep right. philosophical type of a question of what do we want out of children? And certainly, I think, you know, if I'm speaking for myself, we, we certainly have certain core skills that we and knowledge we hope that all kids will learn. But to the extent possible, it's so important to allow kids just to do um, what they find uh draws their natural interest and, and attention and encourage them and support them in that way, scaffold them, being able to like allow them to challenge themselves, fail maybe at that interest so that they learn exactly what they want. And I feel like when we do that with kids and teens and adults and employees, <laughs> the, the, right. more, the more, the more, all of that, the, uh, the better that um, we'll be uh, in, empowering that child or adult to, um, to reach their full potential. Yeah. So 
obviously some some demands need to be placed some challenges need to be had but ultimately um you know I was just talking to one of my children about this you've got to have passion about what you're doing mm-hmm. to be able to give it your all so Yes, we want our kids to learn to read and write, be successful, make good grades, etc. But you also want to make sure that whatever you do, you really love doing it. And it's something that you don't dread every day. Right? Because none of us can pay attention to something that is completely uninteresting and and seems overly mundane. Mm -hmm. So even for individuals who are out there doing something that may seem mundane to you, um, like my gardening piece, (laughs) I'll just say, I love to garden. Yes, it can get into the mundane, but it's very relaxing, Mm -hmm. calming, and I love to see the fruits of my labor, literally and figuratively. (laughs) So, um, yeah. I think we we need to approach yeah. things that way. Yeah. And I think there's also just an element of um, even to use your gardening example because I love to do that as well. So do uh, so does my wife uh, Katie. And you know, there's an element of like it distracts you and it allows you that freedom of thought, that creativity. Yes. You're you're you start to just let your mind wander, and mind wandering is a good thing. We don't we think of we can sometimes say like oh don't let your mind water wander. It can have a very beneficial effect especially in cases where you're allowing yourself to be a little more creative or problem solving a um, a deep issue. And so um, certainly we want to encourage that with kids and and others. Absolutely. I think you know mind wandering can be a good thing because it lets you be creative. Yes. Um, Rachel, thanks for your call. Dustin, Dr. Sarver, thank you so very much, as always, for your incredible knowledge. Um, I hope you want to go back and listen to this podcast because it was amazing. But any past episodes, you can listen to the podcast on your favorite podcast app by searching Southern Remedy Relatively Speaking. This show is a production of MPB Think Radio, engineered by my producer, Jay White. Um, And thanks to our call screener, Jermaine Flood. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.